0: Welcome to the Circle of Birth podcast. I'm your host and advocate, Ali Kranz. These podcasts are here to gather stories, people and information to better our understanding of the wisdom of birth and how we can reclaim our connections to birth from conception and beyond. You will hear stories not only from Australia but from all over the world bringing together women, partners, midwives, doulas and all the people that have a birth story to share. So jump right in for this next Circle of Birth story. And finally I got to re-catch up with Catherine again So before you listen to this episode, go and check out episode 3, part 1 And episode 5, which is part 2 And this is episode 12, which is part 3, the final so far Unless she has some more babies (laughs) stay tuned. So in this next episode, you'll hear two more birth stories. And also her recently refurbished and updated uh, informed birth preparation guide was born. So Catherine soon realized after her first two births that she's probably a good candidate for fast births. And she was right. So these stories, you'll hear how quick a fast, quick birth can be and also silent labor. I've never heard this term before, um, but it can happen. So great informative episode. And if you check out Catherine's website, bellabirth.org, you can now download the birth preparation guide for free. Enjoy. Uh, Hi, Catherine. Uh, Welcome to part three. Thank you for rejoining us um, to the Circle of Birth podcast. And So, you're back again, and you're back to share your next two birth journeys, and during that time, I think you became the author of your latest book, This Is Your Birth, is that right, in between? That's right. Yep. Great. So, you're here for part three, and we're here, we're doing it over Skype now, so we're not out in your beautiful bush setting with the birds in the background and the children playing. So... The Lego. Yeah, the Lego. (laughs) So, yeah, you're here to talk about your next um, story, or your next two stories, and um, so we'll kick it off with Elisar's birth, who's just turned four, I believe.
1: That's right, on Talk Like a Pirate Day.
0: Cool. <laughs> and that's why his nickname is The Captain. <laughs> He's The Captain. And you, He's you've, the got, captain. you've got Pumpkin, The Captain, The Tool Man. And, and we call it Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell, awesome. What a team. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they're a good bunch. Apparently, by the time you've got
1: three of anything, it's a collection. So I'm an official collector of children now.
0: Oh, you're a collector. A, a collector.
1: Gatherer. Yeah. A gatherer. <laughs> so the, between the tool man and the captain, yep. Um, I I became a doula, and I I kind of fell into it. It was a bit of an accident. Um, because I'd found – I'd not heard of doulas before I had the first two, and then a friend mentioned this awesome woman that supported her in her second birth, and she was a doula. I'm like, oh, what now? And she said, oh, you know, she's a non-medical person who supports you when you have your birth, and if she hadn't been there, this birth would have just gone pear-shaped because the midwife I had – was you know just didn't connect with me she was rude and she was trying to hurry me and you know it was really quite stressful but when the doula arrived the energy changed in the room and it was just like oh awesome and she had some really good suggestions to shift this massive baby and bang you know had a baby and it was great and all natural and uh, without any interference in the midwife. Um, stopped hassling me once the doula arrived I thought oh that sounds interesting I wonder how you become a doula and it was also during my second pregnancy that I'd supported a friend just as a, a mate helping a mate have a baby and there were quite a few things that came up and I thought gee this having a baby in a hospital business isn't as straightforward as just turning up and having a baby there's a lot of luck Involved and so the doula, the discovery of the doula became this light bulb moment of maybe it doesn't have to be luck, maybe there's something you can do to put the odds in your favor. And it was this doula thing, so I rang a local doula and just said, So, how do you become a doula? What's the go? and she said, Well. A doula really is just an a knowledgeable woman who is prepared to meet a woman on her terms and support her. So there really isn't a um, at this at that certainly at that point in time there wasn't really an official pathway to follow. So she said, "If you would like to, I'm looking for a volunteer doula to help me with the young mums program." So I thought, "Oh, okay, that sounds pretty good." Get me out of the house. That can be all right. So I started volunteering with her and she mentored me in the ways of a doula, suggested reading and you know, gave me this massive pile of books to get me started. And then towards the end of having supported another another birth and seeing how the knowledge started to come together with the practice of supporting a woman because it's very different supporting someone to actually doing it. Uh, I um, then became aware of uh, different doula programs where you could officially become uh, certified. So I did an online certification which filled in the, the knowledge gaps that I had and everything started to come together and I started practicing as a doula and I was sort of like, oh, how did that happen? Suddenly I'm a doula. And then I was pregnant again with the captain as it turned out And I started doulaing myself this time and taking on a lot more responsibility for my birth and my pregnancy and relying a lot less on my midwife and a lot more on myself to reflect on, on how I was experiencing the pregnancy and how I wanted the birth to pan out. And at the very beginning of the birth, I did, as all women seem to do, I went to see my GP. And I said, I'm pregnant again. And he went, oh, that's great, Catherine. Um, Step on the scales. And if you recall from my um, last story, (laughs) me and the scales and the doctor didn't all agree. And so I stood on the scales and he said, oh, Catherine, sorry, but you're not going to be permitted to birth at the hospital again. And I just was, really? Are you you serious? And he said, yeah, it's out of my hands. It's the anaesthetists. They don't, you know, they don't work with people over over this BMI level and you're right on the edge of it. So really, I don't think um, it's, you you know, we're just not going to be able to book you in there. I think you should go to the birth centre. And I just went, oh, yeah, okay, looks like I'm having a baby at home by myself. Uh, I'm an hour from that hospital and I was an hour and a half from the birth center and the previous birth had been four hours. I thought, oh, that's really going to be cutting it fine. I really need to review what my options are. So I went home to just mull it over. And the next day I got a phone call from the birth center to say, Catherine, why haven't you come in to see us? Uh, You know, we've got your name down here, but um, we haven't allocated you a midwife. And I was like, oh, uh, that's probably because I haven't booked into the birth centre. So I suspect that my GP, knowing that I was likely to not pursue alternate um, options, because of the distance, had actually made a courtesy call on my behalf, which got the ball rolling. I thought, oh, you know, maybe the continuity of care will be okay and it'll be good to have the option. Oh, it won't hurt to go and talk to them. So I went in to have an appointment with the birth centre midwife and I clicked with her straight away. She was just beautiful and really um respectful so during our booking in appointment which went for over an hour which was something i had never experienced before you usually get 15 minutes in out you know back onto the conveyor belt and away you go we sat there and just chatting and she went through the paperwork that had to be done and she said we're just going to do all the paperwork now and get it out of the way so we can just get on with the Business of being pregnant and having a baby, because if I don't fill out this stuff, then you know we've got to tick these boxes. And she was really um, honest and, and forthcoming with what that, that this is not because we think anything's a problem, and we just need to tick some boxes. So we went through all the paperwork, and we got to the breastfeeding section where you know she had to ascertain whether or not I wanted to breastfeed and what my breastfeeding experiences were. And, of course, by this stage I was a breastfeeding counsellor with ABA and she just went, right, well, I'll just tick all those boxes then and I'll probably be referring to you for some advice later on. Um, yeah, I'd love to talk, so okay. And then we got to the bit about the birth and what kind of birth I I thought I might like to have. And I just said, well, I'm just going to have a normal birth that's all right with you and she said oh great and I said I should also disclose that I've I've been training as a doula and practicing as a doula and she got really excited about that she said oh I've never worked never birthed a doula before and I had a little chuckle and thought well (laughs) you probably won't be birthing this one um because I do have a tendency to birth quite quickly and I I really don't think I'll make it to the birth center and she didn't balk at that she kind of went oh okay well we'll have to talk about um about that and then that was the end of it for a little while about 30 weeks it must have been we started talking about my birth plan and this is where I um I brought out a little guide that I'd been working on which was called Plan Bella Birth, Informed Birth Planning. And I just said, I've just got a few questions for you. Um, the document was oh, 60, 70 pages long. And, <laughs> and he's just gone, a few questions. I said, yeah, just a few. And, and I said, don't worry, I'm not going to ask them all today. And I just started with um, – Half a dozen or so, <laughs> um, but going through things like um, what their policies were on cord clamping and some of the the basic stuff. Um, what what happens if uh, if I'm in the bath? Am I you know? Can I still birth in the bath? Uh, what about the GBS? I'd refused to have that test, and they said, "Oh, look, you know your previous." Um, Oh, from way back with the first birth was a negative, so we'll just you know we'll just put that in the notes. so no one was overly concerned about anything. My baby was growing, I was good, my blood pressure was good, so we just carried on and so the next appointment, I asked a few more questions um, all all about standard normal stuff. then the third visit, which must have been about the 36-week visit, my midwife was away and I had a student midwife doing the appointment. But this was the appointment that I had earmarked for my contingency plan. (laughs) That poor student midwife didn't know what hit her. I was asking questions like for the worst possible scenarios. What if I need an emergency caesarean under general anaesthetic, and I end up in a coma. What happens then? And she's just like, far out, Catherine. That's not going to happen. I said, look, I, I know, but what if it did happen? What's the hospital policy? And she's like, oh, you know, we've got your back. You know, we'll cross that bridge. We, You know, we'd support you through it, and we'd make sure everyone was okay. I said, because breastfeeding is really important to me. So if I was in a coma... Is it possible for my milk to be expressed and give given to the baby, or for the baby to be put on my chest to feed directly? Um, what kind of drugs would I be on? What, how would that affect breastfeeding? Um, because I needed to know for my own sense of relaxation if that was a possibility. And she was like, "Well, no one's ever asked this before." Um, Gosh, I don't know. We'd uh, we'd have to find out what kind of drugs might be in your system, and you know. And I thought, oh, well, I know where to follow that up. Um, I know through ABA who to call to find out. So if you tell me what the drugs are, I can follow that up. And she kind of was going, "Wow, this woman's intense." <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I was, I was like, "Oh, what if I? Um, yeah, what if I don't make it to the hospital?" I'm asking. What if the, the cord's around the neck? What if um, the baby's breech? What if, and this, yeah. You know, so she got all the hard questions. And <laughs> I don't know what she wrote in the file, but she must have been really freaking out. And so at my next appointment, when I had my continuity midwife back, I said, how's, um, whatever her name was, is she okay? And she said, yeah, she did have a quiet word with me. But um, I said it straight and let her know that you just like to ask a lot of questions and that you're actually um, very, uh, you know, rational and, and okay. And I said, yeah, I felt terrible. But that was when I needed to ask the contingency questions because I, I needed to get them out of the way um, so that I would be able to move on to my next uh part of my planning and so I was just going methodically through my guide with my lists of questions making little notes refining my birth plan so that when we did go should we go into the hospital my husband would have this if this then that list of instructions which just suited him to the t because he was a very practical um approach and just was like you know I've I will do whatever you need me to do, but you just need to give me the if this, then that way of dealing with it because it's really difficult to make a decision on the fly. That's awesome. I've got your back there. I can do that. So we had three sections to um, my birth plan. There was the what if we're in the hospital and we're just having a normal birth, so no, the no dramas. Um, hospital birth and then the contingency for everything's really going pear shaped and we we need to um, have a cesarean and then consider you know the worst case scenarios so part of that worst case scenario included it listing numbers for him to ring for milk donor so i had already had someone lined up to donate milk in the effect Milk couldn't be used or couldn't be expressed. and the and had the midwives uh, on board knowing that formula was not an option for me. I had um I had other arrangements lined up.
0: That's and pretty impressive. I've never never um <laughs> heard of that before. Um that's planning, informed planning, just there having a a donor all ready to go if you needed it. it, That's great.
1: It was was very thorough. Um, I even even had a list of books that should be provided in the event that I was stuck in hospital for a long time. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) case uh, I get bored, um, these are the books that you should bring in. <laughs> so obviously,
0: nothing that you could provide in the hospital um, news agency.
1: It, yeah, it, there was. Um, oh no, no, it was the, the Hobbit, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, oh, cool. That was my yeah. Well, I, I'll probably need to uh, need to look at it for name name ideas anyway. But, so that was an incredibly thorough planning process. So my thinking brain was just going at this intense level up until about the 36 week mark and at that point I'd asked all my questions and was really satisfied that I knew the hospital policies I knew exactly what I could expect in various scenarios and I also had for my if we don't make it and we're at home plan I had quite a good list for Andrew to refer to we'd familiarised ourselves with the somersault manoeuvre in case the cord was around the neck. We'd, uh, right. What's the somersault
0: manoeuvre for the listeners that might not know? Um,
1: um, Ina May Gaskin, I think, um, was the one that earmarked it. But essentially it's just a, a common sense thing to do. If the cord's around the neck, you just hold the baby's head um close to the perineum and so as the body comes out you let the baby um somersault um down and then once the baby's out you can just untangle the cord and put the baby onto mum's chest. There's some great videos so I'll leave a link with you to add to your resources to go with the with the podcast. Great. Given a sort of emergency instructions in in the event of an unexpected breach. So if the baby had flipped um, unexpectedly at the very end and we and he, and was presenting bum first, then um, the midwife went through a quick. Um, well, in, in the event of that, this you know basically hands off, um, call the ambulance kind of stuff. Uh, in the event of hemorrhage, you know just a few. Uh, little hints that nearly always was calling the ambulance but uh, gave us enough hints so that you'd at least have a nice, calm situation rather than a panicked situation. And then Andrew was like, oh, yeah, very, very pragmatic about the whole thing. All right, yeah, I've got that. No worries. Sounds pretty straightforward. We'll be right. Watch the video. Oh, yeah, no worries. And then the midwife said, oh, by the way, she might poo. Um, So have some toilet paper on hand um, and you can just discreetly wipe that away. You don't need to – she probably won't even notice you're doing it, but you can just wipe the poo away and he kind of went, oh, yay, okay, no worries. (laughs) (laughs) We we, we got a little basket ready. It had a bowl for the placenta um, and for some reason he needed a sieve. He decided we had to have a sieve as well as a bowl and he put some toilet paper in there. Uh, He had some old towels and he put a camp mat there. Um, so that if I was in the bathroom, he could put the camp mat down for my knees. He was a very thoughtful chap. So he had this little basket. So he was set, and he put and he made sure he had a straw in there because I'd told him if I if I needed to drink, I'd probably be better off using a straw. So he had this straw set up in his little bag of goodies just in case we didn't make it to the hospital. And um, on the day. That I thought I might have the baby. I woke up. We'd had a we'd had a kind of rough night. We'd both been quite sleepless. I woke up. Uh, gosh, it would have been about one o'clock in the morning, and I found him in, watching some weird, you know, nineteen fifties military movie on the TV because he's like, "Well, there's nothing else on," but I can't sleep. He was really restless. Then um, Eleanor got up at one point. Oh, what's going on? is something happening? No, no, we just couldn't sleep. That three o'clock, we all went back to bed. And, yeah. H-
0: how many weeks I'd, were you at this point? Uh,
1: 40 plus three. So, just over 40 weeks. So, everyone's on high alert. Yeah, any, any moment now, this baby's going to arrive. And... Uh, Then when I woke up in the morning, I said to Andrew, oh, I reckon I'm having contractions. And he's gone, oh, really? And I'm like, oh, it's really faint. I'm just going to lay here and and enjoy it because I reckon once I get up, it's all going to stop. And they were so faint. I had to – it was so faint I almost might have been imagining it. And I went, oh, I'm actually pretty hungry. I think I'll get up and have some breakfast happening. So I, I found an app on my phone contractions and so i was pressing the button on and off timing the contractions and you know just for a bit of a giggle really because they were so faint and i went oh my gosh these are coming like five minutes apart and they're lasting a minute that's kind of the point where you're supposed to go to hospital except that i can barely feel them nah it's probably nothing nah they're gone away now yeah, it's not happening. Don't worry; it's not. It's all, it's all in my head. And so we just moved on with our day. But I was really restless; like uh, couldn't sit still, agitated but happy. And it was an absolutely gorgeous day. It was spring, and you know, birds are singing, bees are buzzing. It was just a blissful day. Andrew was on his maternity leave, so he was just pottering around. Yeah, it's definitely stopped. Nothing's happening. So I was, oh, maybe I'll go to bed again and see what happens. So I went and laid down. Oh, um, come and play snap with me. Went, oh, well, may as well. Nothing's happened. So I had a game of um, cards with Eleanor and then she decided she wanted to watch a video and then I think I vacuumed or something inane and then decided I was hungry again so put some – uh, spinach pasties in the oven that my friend had made for me um, to you know, ease the burden of um, cooking when you're tired and at the end of pregnancy. And so they were cooking, and I thought, I'll go and get the, the boys and see if they'll have some lunch. And I wandered down. They were at the dam clearing away some scrub. And I said, i oh, come back up to the house shortly um, I've got some food nearly ready. Oh, yeah, sweet. Oh. So they came up and we all sat out on the veranda to eat the spinach pasties and, and Angie's like, how are you feeling? Oh. So I'm just really agitated but I'm pretty blissed out. It's just such a gorgeous day. But, yeah, I'm really not not external at the moment. I'm just inside my head at the moment. I reckon I'll go and have a bath after lunch Um and so Eleanor said, Oh, well, I'll go and help Dad and, and the Narian with the scrub. They're on the tractor, busy um, clearing an area of, of scrub away. So I got in the bath and, oh, just blissed out. I could see the blue sky through the window and the steams rising and the lovely twirly spirals out of the bath. I thought, Oh, there's another contraction. You know, if I stay in this bath long enough, I reckon I'll have a baby today. Oh, look at those lovely spirals. Oh, this is so divine. Oh, I need to pee. Okay, get out of the bath. Got to the toilet and thought, oh, actually, there's a bit of pressure. Oh, that's weird. I don't need to poo. Oh, it's gone. All right, I'll get up. And then, oh, five minutes later, oh, there's that pressure again. Oh, maybe it's coming. I'll go to the toilet again. Oh, no, it's gone. <laughs> and this happened a couple of times. And I thought, oh, this is really weird. So I felt inside myself and thought, oh, that dome-shaped thing's not normally there. Hmm, <laughs> that's a little unusual. Hmm, I'll get Angie to call the midwife for me. <laughs> and Because I I was really really spacey and so I managed to call Andrew and he was near the house and I said, can you just dial the midwife for me? We had really bad reception so I had to be in the sweet spot for the phone to work. I I can't can't, quite remember but for some reason I got Andrew to dial the number for me and then bring me the phone. I was back on the toilet again with these weird waves and um, talked to the midwife and said, look, I'm getting this pressure coming in waves and there's a dome-shaped thing. And she goes, yeah, that's probably a head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah, think. Um, yeah, and I said, but I have had no show. I've had the tiniest of contractions that make me think. They're so, they're so light that I thought I was imagining them. And there's been no waters breaking. There's been ap- none of none of the textbook signs. Just pressure, and this dome in my vagina. And she's gone right. So, has explain the pressure to me? I said, oh, just like I really need to go to the toilet, and nothing's happening. She said, right. Are you experiencing it now? I said, no. And then, oh, yep. Yeah, now I'm experiencing it. And she goes, "Like, just bear down with it and see what happens." And I did. And as soon as I did, I went, "Oh, now I know what I'm doing." I could feel the head; it was starting to move down. And she's and I groaned through it. And she's just gone. Right, you're about to have a baby. <laughs> um, if your waters break, you need to be very ready because it probably won't take very long. Um, and uh, maybe just call me back uh, very shortly. I've gone, right, okay, I know what I'm doing now. I'm having a baby. So I've managed to send a text from the sweet spot to my friend who was uh, set to come and be with the kids. Come now, send. Grabbed the, the mat that Andrew had set aside and dragged myself into the bathroom Down onto my knees. Oh wait, I missed the really important bit, which was where I went out onto the veranda to say, "Hey Andrew, I'm having a baby," and he's like, "Yeah, I know. No, I'm having a baby now. Get off the tractor!" And he's gone. Right, okay, and he's raced inside. He's supermanned it over the fence, came inside and washed his hands. Just in time to catch a baby. Oh, that's
0: so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh. did, he, did he get to use the straw? He didn't get to use oh, the straw. no. He was
1: gutted. He's like, I had a straw. He did get to use the toilet paper, though. Oh, good. <laughs> so it <he laughs> wasn't all a great loss. But we worked out, it was about 20 minutes from the time I realized it was actual labor, to the time that um, I was born, and my friend arrived about five minutes before the baby was actually born, and apparently she put she poked her head in the bathroom. I didn't. I was completely unaware of it, and just sort of went right okay, this isn't going to take long at all and just took the kids into the lounge room. And she said, I didn't even get a chance to unpack the craft I'd brought to do with the kids. (laughs) (laughs) And everything had arrived. And she's like, wow, you're very efficient. Um, But she did get to make me some toast afterwards. And um, she just sort of snuggled with the kids while we um, sort of came to terms with the, wow, we just – Had a baby at home without a midwife. Oh, that wasn't so bad at all. Very straightforward. And um, I should mention that we had seen the the midwife only a couple of days before and we knew everything was fine. We knew the placenta was in a good spot because we'd had a scan at 20 weeks, so we knew it was well out of the way. We knew the baby was in... the perfect position which probably is why everything happened so quickly as well and my heart rate my blood pressure was fine the baby was fine so we were just really chilled out and just waiting and so what it was in the end was described as a silent first stage where I'm who knows how long I'd actually been um dilating and you know contracting for, but my body was just doing it and I was so relaxed that you know, it, it never got to the point of going, oh, I'm in labour. Um, so we just skipped the, lab- the first stage and went straight to the second stage in the end. And it's only in hindsight looking back that I go, oh, all that agitation that I was experiencing and the inability to sit still was probably transition Mm -hmm. and so in hindsight it may very well have been quite obvious what was going on but because of the lack of textbook signs of uh, you know no waters breaking no no show no contractions um, it was yeah there was there was absolutely no reason to assume that we should have been departing and because we were relaxed and just got on with it everything ran smoothly. Wow. We, rang, we rang the midwife after the baby arrived and she said, um, or Andrew spoke to her, and she said, um, if the placenta hasn't arrived in half an hour, call me back. Um, but while he was on the phone, I, I shifted my weight and went, oh, well, there's the placenta. And so she just talked Andrew through um, giving it a look over to make sure it was uh, all in one piece and it was and she, he put it in his sieve and his bowl <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and covered it with a towel and um, helped me into a um, maternity pad and, and pants and I put my dressing gown on whilst holding the baby skin to skin and um, a, a warm blanket over the baby and we just sat on the lounge and blissed out and then had something to eat, and then went to bed. Mm. And it was just so calm and so peaceful and gentle. Uh, there was no no sense of interrupt no interruption at all. And my, my friend stayed in the background. She didn't um, she didn't interfere in in the space at all. She stuck to her role. Um, as part of the uh, planning process, she, she was as familiar with my birth plan as Andrew was, so she knew her role was to concentrate on the children and uh, attend to their needs, and Andrew's role was to focus on me. So they didn't get in each other's way, and it was, yeah, just so awesome and amazing and the you know, best birth ever. Yeah, I, I could relive that day over and over again. Basically, yeah, Anarian um, eventually warmed up to the idea of having a new baby and he came over. It would have been about an hour after the birth and he came over to have a look at the baby. And it was at that moment that Elisa opened his eyes really for the first time and just looked at Anarian as if to say, oh, There you are, my brother. And Elisa and Arian looked at him and went, "Hello, baby. I'm going to teach you to ride a bike."
0: <laughs> oh, that's so sweet.
1: <laughs> oh, be still, my baby. Oh my gosh, like, it was just so sweet. And they, and he did, he looked out for him from day one. He was really, um, yeah, that's my baby, and I'm going to look out for him. And they're really good buddies now, and that's so, which is really lovely to see. So that's that was number three and um, in that and that really set the scene at that point I'd written the book the um, B- plan Bella birth which I'd run through the mill and I knew it I knew it worked well for someone like me who really needed to cross all the T's and dot all the i's before they slipped into their relaxation brain and I was able to really turn off my thinking brain during labour and birth because I knew all the thinking had been done. I knew that no matter what happened, I had a, a system in place to, to deal with it, that decisions were already made even if I didn't need to, to use them. It was all covered. And Andrew relaxed because he knew that all the thinking was done and all he had to do was action, whichever thing came up. And, yeah, of course, we didn't get off um, plan A because everything went went swimmingly, but I was really glad to have plan B, C, D in place. So going into Elisar's birth, I you know, it was a no-brainer to use the same guide and repeat the
0: process. Oh, Phil Marion's birth, you mean?
1: Yeah, so it's now three years later and um, I'm a bit older. Um, I think I was officially geriatric um, or very close to geriatric. So not only was I fat but I was now old. (laughs) So I didn't even bother going to the – to the original hospital, didn't even consider the original hospital um, this time around, and I went straight to the birth centre for my antenatal care. And I had hoped to get the same midwife again, but unfortunately, she had passed away in the intervening years, and so I was allocated a new midwife. And she was she was okay. I clicked with her. I, you know, we got on well, but some something had changed in the system in the intervening years too. Policies had got a bit tighter. uh, Midwives' hands were were being held a lot more. There was a lot less um, flexibility. They operated. Um, You know, it it became insurance-centred, which was very interesting to me. So I started tweaking um, the guide a little bit. uh, And so by the time Silmarion was born, the guide had become this is your birth rather than plan be- bella birth it was not much different but there were a few key points that i felt needed to be added to the new guide as i as i'd gone through it so um, my my fourth pregnancy was very much about testing the guide uh, through through the the changes in the system and uh the uh, up until about the thirty-eight week mark, and um, the the midwife started to show a few red flags of not being comfortable with my plans to birth at home again. And even though my history ha- with with Elisa being a silent first stage, an hour and a half from the hospital, you know, the perfectly healthy pregnancy, there was no reason to be alarmed by that plan she was starting to go how is this going to affect me and being really careful about making sure that it was documented that uh she'd given me every uh opportunity to come into the hospital and so that was that was kind of annoying because it it started to to place doubts in my head as well of oh, I'm not being supported here in the way I'm now being um, over-monitored a little bit. So I didn't go into Silmarion's birth as relaxed as I, I did with Elisar. But I also was quite unwell in the, um, in the last two weeks of my pregnancy. At um, about 39 weeks, I woke up excruciating earache I wanted to stick a pencil in my ear it was oh my gosh the worst pain I've ever experienced and uh, it was so bad I thought I, I, I have to go to the doctor about this this is this is insane um, plus Andrew needed um, to get a medical certificate so he could actually um, take the time off work to I, I was in unable to eat to look after the the children I i needed to just you know be in a ball going oh my gosh i'm in pain so andrew needed to take time off so we needed a medical certificate so we went off to the doctor and she had a look in my ear and she said oh it could be infected um which means uh, we should give you antibiotics so we went through the brain um acronym uh, benefits risks alternatives intuition nothing and She was really good about that process and um, so Andrew said, oh, look, okay, well, what are the risks with the antibiotics? And so she's brought it up on the computer and she's saying, well, during pregnancy these antibiotics are um, are considered okay. That uh, during labour it's not recommended because it could lead to breathing difficulties in the baby. And she said, oh, yeah, that's during labour. And he said, well, you know, how long's the course of antibiotics? And she said five days. And he said, "Well, we could birth within five days. Um, it's not to us. The risk is too high. We can't risk having a baby with breathing difficulties. Why? So, so what are our alternatives? And she said, "Well, if you don't have the antibiotics and the pain continues, it could get worse." Uh, it could last for about ten days, blah 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 blah. So she sort of talked around um, the up um, the recovery of the infection. I only said might be infected because the ear is quite red, um, but it doesn't mean there definitely is an infection. so the antibiotics were precautionary rather than necessary potentially. So we all weighed it all up and we had a really good discussion about what my options were and decided we would take the script for the antibiotics and give it overnight to see how I would be in the morning before um, deciding whether or not to to fill the script because the the pain was really bad. But I wasn't not coping with it. I thought I I can breathe through this if it means not risking – um, the problems that can come with antibiotics and, and, and the baby. So I got home and I'm pulling at my ear as, as my eardrum burst. It was the best feeling ever and, and this gush of fluid. It was almost like my ear was giving birth. It was kind of gross but, it, and, you know, interesting at the same time.
0: Sounds fine. <laughs>
1: It's <laughs> very satisfying, and the pain went away. With a, a, a near gushing fluid for the next few days, but no pain and no no hearing, I kind of started to slip into myself and went, "Well, I can't hear anything," which is kind of a benefit because I don't really want to res- didn't want to respond to anything anymore either. We to slip into labour land, so again, it was about forty-three. I started to feel. Oh, something could be happening. Something feels a little bit different. That you know, oh that was a tightening that was a little bit different to anything I've felt before. No, it's not followed by anything. Oh well we'll just go to bed. So the night before she was born, um I I had that kind of ooh, this could be it feeling followed by nothing. So there was no no reason to up in the household to travel into the hospital for one contraction. That was an hour and a half travel to be told, no, nothing's happening, seemed a a bit silly. So we just went to bed. But all through the pregnancy, I'd kept having this feeling that I was going to birth on the toilet at dawn. And sure enough, the next morning, just before dawn, I woke with intense contractions. And by contractions, I really mean just this incredible need to go to the toilet. And I kept going to the toilet and I was evacuating my bowels. like I've never evacuated them before. This birth was not pretty, (laughs) but but it was effective. And I was um, moving between the bed and the toilet and Andrew um, for some bizarre reason probably because he just needed to do something was timing what he believed was contractions and and got growled at. He, getting growled at usually means transition so um, this is interesting and he set up a little nest for me. He decided I wasn't going to make it to the bathroom that I was planning just a little nest at the end of the bed for me so uh, on a I went, oh, that's like a little cozy spot. And so I um, got down on my knees thinking to bear down, but I just couldn't get comfortable straight back to the toilet. And the only place I wanted to be was on the toilet. And in the back of my head, I was just thinking, so do note to yourself, if you're ever having another baby, do not visualize the toilet. (laughs) Do not want to have a baby on the toilet. And just this... A constant need to go to the toilet. So I felt inside myself again, like I'd done with LSR, but I could not feel ahead. I could feel, um, you know, there was no, there, I couldn't even feel my cervix. It was just like, I could feel nothing. And just this need to go to the toilet. And so I was actually leaning, uh, sitting on the toilet, leaning back, um, almost like I was trying to be as straight as possible on the toilet I couldn't bend anymore which was really in hindsight um made sense but then I thought finally this poo was coming out and only to realize it wasn't a poo it was in fact a head and um and I got up from the toilet in just enough time for Andrew to catch (laughs) a baby and so we were both kind of oh wow um that was quick, uh, and it was about an hour. So, in terms of um, compared to the previous birth, this one was a long one, uh, <laughs> uh, but it was a really intense hour of um, of definite contraction type feelings, rather than with LSR, where there'd been absolutely no um, pain or. Uh, uh, difficult sensations. This one was really intense, and she came really fast. And I think um, part of it was because she was quite small; um, she was just under three kilos. Um, whereas Elissa had been three and a half kilos, and birthing three and a half kilos was better because I could feel his head as it came down, so I knew where I was at. Whereas with Silmarion it was just, I could feel I couldn't feel anything. Um, other than the contractions, I couldn't feel her head at all and then suddenly there it was. With Silmarion, I felt relief and I think a lot of that came from the attitude of the midwife this time around where they were not were a bit less supportive and uh, so it was, uh, I moved from the, the toilet um, to the little nest that Andrew had made for me. Uh, yeah, I just shifted my weight. And the placenta fell out, and we put that in the bowl. No sieve this time. That was overkill. So,
0: um, how, how long did the placenta take to come out?
1: Uh, ten minutes. I think it was no more than ten minutes.
0: So, so you have Which quick, was, quick placenta births as well.
1: Yeah, everything just woo, no dramas at all. The blood loss was pretty minimal, so there was no no dramas there. So we just rang the um, rang the midwife uh, shortly afterwards to say uh, we've just had a baby, and she was like, "Oh well, congratulations." She felt totally ripped off because <laughs> she'd been looking forward to a an easy birth. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was, you can go back to bed now. <laughs> Baby's here. You can you're off call now. Um, and so we um, got that would have been she would have. She was born at 7 o'clock in the morning. So just as the sun was rising um, on the toilet, exactly as I had envisaged it would be, um, and we just sort of got up and got on with our day. (laughs) It was was very ordinary, uh, very um, calm again. The kids all crowded around me offering me drinks and um, saying hello to the baby and... uh, we got on and had breakfast and we sort of went, wow, we're all here. Here we all are. And um, at about lunchtime, we decided to go into the local hospital, which is not a maternity hospital, but it's only 10 minutes away, um, just to sort of tick off boxes. Um, there are a couple of options when you have um, what they call a birth before arrival. Um, or a free birth or unassisted birth. Um, You've probably heard those terms before as well. Um, in New South Wales, if you attend a hospital, it doesn't have to be a maternity hospital, if you attend a hospital within 24 hours, they can sign off the birth um, for your the birth registration. So we thought we'd test out that uh, little bit of legislation. And it turns out... Um, no one's ever done it before. So they kind of went, oh, my gosh, we don't know what to do. Um, so they they managed to find a form. Um, oh, gosh, it would have been about three weeks later. But they were happy to fill it in having seen us. They they filled it in and sent it all off and it was no dramas. But we ended up staying at the hospital for a couple of hours, Um just talking to the match nurse, um, the match nurse weighed her for us and uh, just asked how we were feeling and um, just, yeah, you know, how did it all go and just making sure things were okay and then rang maternity at the um, the nearest maternity hospital to find out about getting the form. but. Was told, oh no, you'll have to send them in here. But thankfully, as part of our incredibly informed, well-researched birth planning, the uh, legislation Andrew had found made it very clear that we did not have to attend a maternity hospital. Any ma- any hospital with a medical personnel was able to sign off on the on the birth. So, because we had that legislation. Hand and a match nurse who had made a very common sense assessment and gone, you know, there is the baby's fine, the mother is fine. She watched as I was breastfeeding the baby, the baby was sleeping beautifully, it was a good color. There was absolutely no reason uh, to put us in an ambulance to travel an hour to the maternity hospital just so they could tick a box. And so she actually advocated for us and said, no, I'm not sending the mother and the baby. They are fine. We've assessed them. We just need a form. And so that just got the ball rolling on the, the paperwork side of things. And she said, you guys um, may as well go home and we'll check, we'll just keep chasing the paperwork up. And it was a good thing we went home because it took them three weeks. But, um, but And they just followed us up. Um, uh, every couple of days she just rang in to see how we were going uh, because that's the sort of standard practice is from the birth center we would have been passed on to the the match nurse uh, maternal and child health nurse uh, for for the follow-up visits and they give you your blue book for filling in the, you know the child health stuff so we kind of um, played played the game that needed to be played just to make sure that Uh, Everything was above board, but it was also quite interesting to see the process in action as well, particularly in a small country hospital to see how they coped with a birth before arrival because I can't possibly be the only woman who births quickly in a rural area. And it really does make me, having um, intervened with Um because they're trying to avoid uh, accidental home births by either inducing women early or encouraging women to come in um, earlier than they perhaps would otherwise and um, perhaps over-monitoring things a little bit. So it'd be very interesting to find out the the statistics.
0: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see the statistics of ambulance transfers and things like that too.
1: Yeah, I've heard a few stories and apparently there was one woman who did deliver on the side of the road and despite being with the ambulance, despite being with the ambulance, uh, the birth was difficult to register because there was no address. It was a case of computer says no, uh, <laughs> we we need an address. Um, the side of the road is not. Not acceptable. And so even though they had had medical attendance in that scenario, that birth was harder to register than than our birth. Um, I probably should mention uh, the reason we knew the legislation and had followed the legislation up for the fourth birth was because with the third birth, our um, birth centre was in a different state. We lived near the border and so we had to cross... Into a into a different uh, legislative um, area, and the form we got from our midwife was unacceptable in New South Wales, and we ended up having to do affidavits and a whole lot of nonsense in order to register the third birth. So this time around, we thought we'd uh, find out exactly what legislate the legislation was and and it was to present within 24 hours. If we chose not to do that, then we could have just done affidavits again um, and it would you know, it would have just taken a little bit longer uh, and it's not a drama because it's not illegal to birth without medical attendance. It's not illegal to choose not to attend a hospital. Um, it just makes it tricky from a bureaucratic point of view because – is so unusual that the people you talk to are usually like, oh, oh, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do there. I have to follow it up. Um, and so it just takes a bit longer. Yeah. Um, and hopefully that doesn't change um, from the legal point of view um, because if you're well prepared and you've got a low-risk birth and your pregnancy is going really well and the baby's in a good position – the chances of birthing um, at home safely, are relaxed, and your partner is supportive, then also quite high because your body will will just birth. It's not a conscious process, um, and if there's no adrenaline in the room and everybody's relaxed, it just happens as nature intended.
0: And you're and definitely if, speaking from experience there. <laughs>
1: Yep, twice. Twice now, um, and uh, it's. I do believe that it came down to being incredibly informed about all the possible scenarios, and the changes that I, the changes that I made in um, this is your birth uh, compared from the previous guide was to include. Uh, some more information about the fast birth as a possibility um, just to help particularly partners to, to have an if this, then that uh, set of instructions to follow because if the partner is relaxed and not, uh, not releasing adrenaline, which is contagious, if the adrenaline stays out of the space, then the chances are the mum will stay calm and relaxed and the baby will just be born um, safely rather than adding adrenaline in and then the mother becoming tense and in doing so not birthing as effectively as she might otherwise. So, again, it comes down to individuals. Uh, Some um, people choose to, for their fast birth plan, to just make sure that they've got the ambulance um, lined up. If they have to, uh, if they've got a history of fast birth in particular, a lot of people find it really useful to ring the ambulance um, in advance, not using triple O, but using their office number in the local place or just dropping in and saying g'day and saying, look, I'm due to birth in a few weeks. I just wanted to give you a heads up that I'm, that, I tend to birth fast and I might require your assistance. And nice to know who your local bloke is. So obviously that's um, for the rural women, but the women that I've spoken to uh, who have used the, the guide in its previous incarnation and um, the few that have uh, had a chance to actually start planning with this one, uh, it'll be interesting to see – or hear the stories that come out of the, the new guide. Uh, I don't think we've had anyone birthed under the new guide yet. Mm. It's because it's that new.
0: Yep.
1: Um, but yeah, the, the births that happened under the old guide, uh, a lot the positive um, stories that come out of it. Even if they've gone onto their contingency plan, they're still talking positively because no matter what, they're still birthing. Their way because they've made informed decisions before they've gone into labour.
0: Yeah, wonderful, great. Um, it's just uh, just seeing like listening to from part one to to just now. It's definitely been a journey. Yet from this, you have become a doula and you've written a book that is what seems to be based on a lot of your experiences and your empowerment. So thank you for sharing these amazing journeys with us and I hope a lot of women are able to benefit from your book and um, from the births and the informed birth preparation. Thank you so much. Did you connect with this episode? Then head over to our website, circleofbirth.com. There you'll find show notes, pictures, resources and potentially connect with today's storyteller. Don't forget to sign up to be updated with new empowering episodes and content. Help the show grow by contributing a tip in the jar to make sure we can continue to better the podcast and connect more and more to the wisdom and birth and each other. Hey, and don't forget the iTunes rating. This has been another episode of the Birth Share Project. We breathe, we birth, we empower.